Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everyone deserves a chance in the driver's seat. For GM and Revolt, that means leading the way on the road to an all-electric future and envisioning a world with zero crashes, zero tailpipe emissions, and zero congestion. GM's committed to making EVs accessible for everybody. That means you too. So what are you waiting for? GM's got the keys. You grab the wheel. Learn more about an all-electric future and the 000 initiative at GM.com. GM, everybody in. Tonight on Revolt Black News Weekly. My father, like a lot of other people, participated in experiments, but they weren't told what was being used on their bodies and in their bodies. The Philadelphia experiment exposed black inmates used as human guinea pigs for more than 20 years as the city of brotherly love apologizes. But is it too little, too late? Then. The state of black maternal health uh, in the United States uh, is in a crisis. Black women fighting for control of their medical rights and speaking out about maternal health. And I'm Kennedy Rue, loading you up with all what's new in the entertainment remix. Will Smith's emancipation gets the global treatment and Lotto is not messing around on her new track. Plus, today my family is whole. Brittany Griner freed from a Russian prison. We track her road home to the U.S. as we go black all over the world. All of this tonight as... The Black News Revolution starts right now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm Rochelle Ritchie. We begin with tonight's top story. Outrage in the city of brotherly love as Philadelphia officials apologize for 20 plus years of inhumane experimentation on black and brown inmates. Angry victims and their families who liken it to the Tuskegee syphilis study are speaking out, demanding answers and accountability. Behind these doors of the now shut down Holmesburg prison in Philadelphia are the stories of men, most of them black, who endured abuse to their bodies all in the name of science. First of all, black people generally don't trust doctors. And although the culture makes light of a long-standing historical wound, the trauma that lingers is no laughing matter. My father was the breadwinner, he went to work. We had big birthday parties as kids. All that went away after that incarceration, and then things were never the same. From the 1950s to the 1970s, at Holmesburg Prison, Jones Alston says her father was among the inmates subjected to unethical experiments, exposing them to harmful chemicals, viruses, and other substances. My father, like a lot of other people, participated in experiments out of a need, either for a commissary, or a, a, bon a bail bond. It was easy money because as I was told, it wasn't easy being incarcerated back then and not having money. If you watch the documentary, Acres of Skin, that these men, these collection of men came together and they told you the symptoms and how it changed them. In the very beginning, they were relatively simple. They were like uh, mild lotion studies and uh, you know things of that sort, but things that wasn't uh, life-threatening. Went on to become more inhumane and more barbaric. Toothpaste test. 
where guys was using the toothpaste. Next thing you know, they in the mess hall and the teeth just falling out. They took my lip and they put it on my arm and they took my arm and they put it in my lip. The side that they injected the stuff on me is the side that I have cancer. I have cancer in my brain as a result of it. I have cancer in my bone and I cannot, you know, my functioning is limited. You know, and I was a healthy young man. The uh, prison system in Philadelphia had become an adjunct, a parcel, uh, doing clinical trials for an enterprising dermatologist named Albert Montgomery Kligman. Dr. Albert Kligman is the doctor who performed these experiments on the inmates, and he is also credited with being a co-inventor for Retin-A, a skincare medication that has become a common item in many households. My daddy's skin put steak on a whole lot of tables, and he turned over our dinner table while they was enjoying the, the riches of life. So what happened more recently that has sparked attention again is that Philadelphia became the first municipality, the first city to issue a public apology that they had allowed an enterprising physician and an elite university to basically do whatever they wanted with the, uh, the inmates. In this letter from the mayor, the city of Philadelphia apologized several decades later to the men who endured inhumane and horrific abuse. Well, first of all, I appreciate the, the uh, apologies because I say that because my father fought long and hard for uh, the apologies, but his lifespan wasn't long enough for him to hear those apologies. Um, I'm in contact with some of the survivors and no one has reached out to any of those elderly people. The victims of Dr. Kligman's experiments never received reparations for their abuse before Dr. Kligman died in 2010. He donated at least $15 million to the university's dermatology department, adding insult to injury to the individuals and families adversely affected by his experiments forever. The University of Pennsylvania is the most potent economic force in the city of Philadelphia. They hire, retain, the largest workforce in the city. It's a multi-million dollar, maybe billion dollar operation. Ivy League school that is training some of the best young minds in the country, yet they did not know that it was wrong to use incarcerated people as human guinea pigs for a vast array of experiments. And I think that's an egregious sin of commission and omission. So I've been banging them for years. And last year, I guess it was 2021, when they finally issued an apology that what they did was wrong. And then months later, the city just did it. Then Philadelphia City Council just did it. And I and some of my colleagues in the coalition are now working on some other bodies, such as the DA's office and the state legislature and the elite college of physicians, that they too should have known right from wrong. Somebody should have raised their hand and opposed this large, long time process of abusing people at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder. All right, let's move on to the headlines beyond our borders as we go black all over the world.
We began in Russia. Brittany Griner now freed from prison. I spoke with Brittany Griner. She's safe. She's on a plane. She's on her way home. After months of being unjustly detained in Russia, held under intolerable circumstances, Brittany will soon be back in the arms of her loved ones, and, uh, and she should have been there all along. The two-time Olympian gold medalist is back in the United States and reunited with her family after being in a Russian penal colony for 294 days, serving a nine-year sentence on a drug charge. Her release was part of a long-negotiated prisoner swap. Bringing Brittany Griner home was a priority. The president has said publicly, he said it privately. So many people didn't think that the president cared about Brittany Griner. And as we often say in our community, you have to trust the process. Brittany's wife, Sherelle, was in the Oval Office at the White House, joining President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris as the news of the release broke. Today, my family is whole, but as you all are aware, there's so many other families who are not whole. And so BG's not here to say this, but I will gladly speak on her behalf and say that BG and I will remain committed to the work of getting every American home. Reaction to her release has been swift, and many of her colleagues, including retired WNBA player Ty Young, are overjoyed, showing their support. Being locked up nine months, um, not knowing when you're coming home, you know, the, the heartbreak of even hearing about her, you know, being in a mental state where she doesn't know if she's ever coming home or when she's coming home. So for it to finally be here, it's like, wow, you know, like so happy for her, so happy for her family. Finally, we head to Brazil. Prayers and global well wishes are flooding social media for the king of football, Brazilian-born soccer star Pele, who was rushed to the hospital due to a lung infection caused by COVID-19. Many speculations flooded the internet surrounding the health of the 82-year-old superstar. His family released a statement clarifying his condition, adding that he is... Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Doing better. We'll be right back. But first, an update to a story that we've been following. It, it is my honor to utter the four most powerful words ever spoken in a democracy. The people have spoken. Raphael Warnock wins Georgia's very tight runoff election, defeating Herschel Walker and securing his spot in the U.S. Senate for the next six years. The close win punctuates just how divided this nation has become, and it all boils down to race and who's the face of either party. It was really powerful when we were looking at the exit polls from those that uh, came out, Gen Z in particularly, that came out in the general, that did not come out in the general election, but came out in the runoff because they realized, oh, it just got real. In another runoff victory this week, the city of Earl, Arkansas, near Memphis, elected 18-year-old Jalen Smith to be its next and the youngest black mayor in America. He just graduated high school and already has big goals for his town of 1,800 people. First, I want to improve public safety here. Uh, secondly, tear down abandoned houses, transportation here for the community, bring a grocery store here. 
these mayor races are critical. These executive positions are critical. And that's why in my training, I'm always pushing, you know, state uh, state seats, state representatives, state uh, senators, and also mayor and commissioner. You're really literally just trying to galvanize tens of thousands of people. So it's possible. Kennedy Rue. Each year in the United States, about 700 people die during pregnancy or the year after. Another 50,000 each year have unexpected outcomes with labor and delivery, ending in either serious or short-term health consequences. Black women are the most vulnerable, many suffering at the hands of hospitals, proper medical care, and postpartum treatment. I'm here with Tanya Lewis-Lee to discuss the alarming state of black maternal health care in America and what black women can do to advocate for themselves. Your house is beautiful, oh, by the way. You. I love it. Yeah, I appreciate that. I'm Tanya Lewis-Lee. I'm a writer, producer, director, and an entrepreneur. I started out as a lawyer. Uh, it's, when I went to law school, I was thinking that I would be a civil rights lawyer. I, uh, I did work with Human Rights Watch. I, I worked with the NAACP Legal Defense Fund uh, because I really thought I, I could help people, specifically African-American people, my people, uh, in some way. But I always had a desire to be artistic. I wanted to work in television. I wanted to work in film. But I just I didn't know how to do that. I got married, I had young children, and I was looking at how they were experiencing the world as black children. Literally seeing my children look at their skin and try to understand who they were in a world of a white world, a white supremacist yeah. world. And so I started writing children's books. Please baby please, please puppy please. And then I, I wanted to get into producing because I know that the way you change hearts and minds is through storytelling. When you can humanize a story, that is how you get people to really understand what people are experiencing. Can you discuss the current state of black maternal health care in this country? The state of black maternal health uh, in the United States uh, is in a crisis, quite frankly. And it's especially urgent for black and brown women, indigenous women. The United States is the most uh, dangerous place in the industrialized world to give birth. We have the highest infant mortality rates of any industrialized nation in, in the world. And black women die at three to four times the rate that white women do. The new statistic that just came out, it was that 60% of these deaths were preventable. But just recently it came out that 85% of these deaths are preventable. Uh, and so uh, I'm also on the board of March of Dimes, and we just recently put out a report about the maternal health care provider deserts out there. So rural communities, some urban communities where there are no health care providers. Black women are more susceptible to have high-risk complications mm -hmm. during the birthing process. Why is that? What I see in, as, I, as I looked at it in making mm -hmm. my film, I think that we intervene too soon. I think there's an over-medicalization mm -hmm. of birth, number one, in general. Yes. Uh, so most OBs have not seen a natural physiological birth without any intervention mm -hmm. at all. 
Uh, and they'll tell you that, you know, because usually by the time you get to the hospital, you're probably going to be induced. Mm -hmm. uh, something's going to happen. They're going to give you some sort of medication to get you going. To There's some this. sort of medical intervention. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so you do too much too soon, which then causes other complications down the line. Then there's the flip side, where it's too little, too late. Mm. So after you give birth, you're showing symptoms of something. Oh, you're fine, you're fine, just rest, you'll be okay. Oh, you don't know your body, you don't know your pain. Mm. And then something happens and, it, and it's too late. Systemically, the way we set up the birthing process, the industry of birthing in the United States, uh, sets us up for failure. Mm. Because uh, midwifery has been around since the time of ancient. But all the other industrializations have midwifery care integrated into mm. their healthcare system. People who don't know, what is a doula, what is a midwife, and what is their role in the birthing process? Yeah, such a great question. Um, first of all, midwives are clinicians. Uh, they can do everything a doctor can do except for surgery. Uh, obstetricians, gynecologists, they are surgeons. Doulas are more of an advocate, so they can get you what you need. Uh, they can speak up for you in your when you're in need, and because when you're birthing, you shouldn't be having to advocate for yourself, mm -hmm. and that's really the role of a doula. And the combination together uh, can be amazing, along with the doctor. If there are complications and you do need something, I think uh, it's the dream trifecta for, for a birthing person. The reason why midwifery and doula care is really good for black women, um, as Helena Grant in our film says, is because it's inherently anti-traumatic care. I think what happens often in hospitals, um, especially for those patients who don't have the resources, mm -hmm. we become the guinea pigs for the residents. And so what happens is, unfortunately, the people who have the least resources are treated by the people who have the least experience wow. because they're learning. Yeah. You know, and I understand that people have to learn, mm -hmm. but when you have a resident, you know, that's working on you, this person is learning yeah. <laughs> on you in real time. Yeah. And sometimes we see poor outcomes from that. So your film Aftershock is making waves across the community. Talk to me about the women you highlighted in the film and why their stories are so important. Yeah, Amber Rose Isaac, Shimani Benton Gibson. Yeah. Amazing women that should still be here. Yeah, absolutely. Shimani uh, passed away in October 2019. Uh, Amber Rose Isaac passed away in April 2020. Both beautiful, vibrant women. They had partners. Uh, Shimani had another child. She had a daughter, a mother, a sister, community. Amber was a graduate student uh, who wanted to teach young people to heal through art. She had family and friends and a community. Beautiful women, beautiful women who were healthy and who were seeking out prenatal care throughout their pregnancies. In Shimani's case, she um, went through her pregnancy, had her labor, 
gave birth to her son Kari, yes, through a, a C-section, and then began experiencing symptoms of a pulmonary embolism. They called the doctor, they called the hospital, uh, giving them the symptoms, and they were told, oh, just have her rest, relax, which was the worst thing they could have told right, her. Right. And then, when she did go into distress, they did call the paramedics, who delayed care because they kept asking, is she on drugs? And so Shimani passed away 13 days after giving birth uh, to her son, Kari. In Amber's case, she was experiencing symptoms of HELP syndrome, went to her doctor. Her doctor sort of ignored her symptoms, told her she could go to work, she should be fine. In fact, it was in her records that her platelet levels were dropping. It wasn't until her partner, Bruce, suggested that they find a midwife uh, or a doula to help them to, to change the care that they were getting. Mm -hmm. The midwife... Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Had to see the records. She saw the records and said, I can't treat you. You need to go to the hospital right away. And they gave her an emergency C-section, and she died um, there on the table because she had no clotting in her blood. Again, a preventable death that could have happened. Mm -hmm. uh, her son Elias uh, is living. He's a beautiful, beautiful baby that Bruce is raising along with um, Amber's mother, Renita. So racial disparities are what we were talking about. We could even say medical racism yes, is absolutely. comprehensive and systemic at its core. What do we need to do to ensure that black women are getting the care that they need? So you want to address who's, who's having babies right now, and then we want to address how we can fix it for the future, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I say that because I think about the pipeline of healthcare providers right. that we need. We need more black OBs, mm -hmm. we need more black midwives, we need more doulas, mm -hmm. we need them to be covered, um, we need people to be able to pay for them through insurance, right. through Medicaid, we, we need these things and so we need people who are working on bringing this pipeline of workers along, uh, working in legislation to, to make laws so that their care is covered by insurance. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What advice do you have to give to black women getting ready to embark on their pregnancy journey? It's an amazing time in a woman's life, um, in a family's life, to be pregnant, to be bringing forth life. Um, you should not be afraid. Your body was made to do this. We've been doing this since the times of ancient. Yeah. This isn't new. It's not new. Right, <laughs> right. We've been doing it. You're, you're, you'll know what to do. Yeah. Uh, and I would say make sure you get the right support system for yourself. Again, find the right healthcare provider. Go shopping for the right person. Mm -hmm. Take the time. Uh, and find the person that listens to you, that honors you, that respects you, so that you can have the safe, dignified birth that you deserve. Hey everyone, welcome back, I'm Kennedy Rue. Time to jumpstart what's happening in the Entertainment Remix. 
It was a horrific time in, in American history. It's Will Smith's British Invasion. At the London premiere of his thriller Emancipation, Will admitted after years of saying no to participating in slavery stories, the emotional film in theaters now and streaming on Apple TV Plus December 9th grabbed Smith's full attention unexpectedly. I've never wanted to um, work in the genre. I didn't, I didn't want to depict African Americans in, in that way. I saw that it wasn't a, a slavery film. It was a freedom film. It was a film about a, a man who believed so much in God that he was able to endure the unendurable. I'd like to thank the Critics' Choice Association for this Career Achievement Award. The incredible Angela Bassett was honored at the Critics' Choice Association's fifth annual celebration of black cinema and television. Abbott Elementary's Quinta Brunson and Michael B. Jordan were also celebrated. So you want to marry my daughter? Yes. Yes, I do. So do you hang out in the hood all the time or do you just come up here for our food and women? It's a valid question. It is. What's the difference between me and you? If Amir and I had a baby, it would be a very nice baby. Mixed race people are really awesome. You know, you have like Mariah and Derek Jeter, and then of course you have the, the goat. The goat. The greatest of all time. Yeah, I know what it means, but who are you referring to? Our guy, the legend, Malcolm X. What in the mother? It's the movie pairing I never saw coming. Eddie Murphy and Jonah Hill's new comedy, You People, arrives on Netflix January 27th. Young Miami hosted a special screening of the upcoming film last weekend with the movie's director, Kenya Barris. I love your daughter and I would make a good husband. Ain't this about a bitch? Where's our waiter? I am starving. What's the difference between me and you? Nope, not kidding at all, ASAP Rocky. The rapper's brand new video for his current hit, Shitting Me, just dropped. Lotto is not mincing words with her single FTCU, and neither is her new video. Set in a lively strip club featuring Glorilla, Gangsta Boo, and tons of skin, it's nearing a million views. And now celebrities have also became us consumers, so they're looking for the next hot, hot thing to keep them in the press, to keep them in the, in, 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 in the news. Social media star Black Tatted continues to prove his brilliance in business. The entrepreneur's latest success is the launch of successful no nicotine and no tobacco Black Smoke hookah brand. Before his business success, Black Tatted remembers the moment his hard work paid off. I knew I made it when Jermaine Dupri hit me up in my DMs and, and connected with me. He, I'm like, hold on, that is Jermaine Dupri. On to another story that's been trending all over social media. The Elon Musk Twitter takeover. The $44 billion purchase for the social media platform has the culture weighing in on Elon's shift from firing employees to demanding they physically work in the office amidst some workers walking off the job. Now the latest beef with Twitter and Apple just adds to the drama. But what is most concerning is what the Elon effect will have on black Twitter. Twitter is a war zone. 
if somebody's gonna jump in the war zone, it's like, okay, you're in the arena, let's go. So Musk's own statements pre his effort to acquire Twitter raise concerns with us. Well, I think it's very important for uh, there to be an inclusive arena for free speech. One of the things that I believe Twitter should do is open source the algorithm. Secondly, to take it private, which means he'll own it 100%. Uh, there'll be no, if you will, collaboration or accountability in how policies are set. He will do as he wishes, whenever he wishes, on whatever terms he wishes. You know, I think people have to remember, Twitter was a platform that Donald Trump abused, many others abused, and Twitter finally, finally de developed the systems, the policies, and the courage to say that our platform will not be systemically abused and, and misused uh, by those that promote hate, those that promote division. I think it's very concerning. As a matter of fact, I think it's terrifying. I see it as a, an attack, really. And Twitter has declared itself basically the god of information and misinformation. You know, I would hope that on one hand, the Twitter shareholders would block the sale. On the other hand, that Elon Musk would make a commitment to maintain content moderation policies. us and Antifa and BLM, we respect the law. We were good people. The government did this to us. We were normal, good, law-abiding citizens, and you guys did this to us. We want our country back. We are protesting for our freedom right now. That's the difference. There's an abuse of the term freedom of speech. Freedom of speech does not sanction race speech, hate speech, stoking of violence. That is not freedom of speech. This is a great concern to black Americans, great concern to the National Urban League, and I think great concern to the civil rights and social justice community in the United States. Moving on to the cases that caught our attention this week as we explore who's in the system. Made a promise that we would get the individuals or the individual that's responsible uh, for the murder of takeoff in custody. A promise kept as two men are now charged in the murder of Migos rapper Takeoff. We arrested Patrick Xavier Clark, 33 years old. Also arrested, 22-year-old Cameron Joshua, who's facing weapons charges for having a gun illegally at the time of the shooting. However, prosecutors do not believe Joshua fired that weapon the night of Takeoff's death. Houston police say there was no evidence that Takeoff had anything to do with the fight that led to the shooting and that he was just at the wrong place at the wrong time. We lost a good man and I didn't have the pleasure of meeting him. Both sides ready for the jury. Hope for justice in the case of a Tatiana Jefferson, the trial of former Fort Worth, Texas. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. At participating McDonald's. Police officer Aaron Dean is now underway. Dean is charged with fatally shooting a Tatiana in 2019 during what was supposed to be a welfare check. Everyone may be seated. Jefferson was shot in her own home as she went to investigate noises she heard coming from her outside window. Did your aunt take her noise outside the bedroom? Yes, sir. 
A Tatiana's 11-year-old nephew, Zion Carr, taking the stand and detailing what he witnessed that fateful night. Concerns are growing about the reality of justice for Tatiana with an all-white jury deciding this case. Dean, who is also white, faces 5 to 99 years in prison if convicted. Did you see something that happened? I seen her fell on the ground. What happened after she fell to the ground? She started crying and then after that two police officers came and got me. Did you know what had happened at that point? No, sir. Hey, what's up, Tori? How's house arrest treating you? And free at last, Tory Lanez is off house arrest and is preparing to face Megan the Stallion in court. Lanez is accused of shooting Meg in the foot in 2020. The trial is set to start on Monday. If there is one doubt and a juror can't reach a conclusion, either it's going to be a mistrial or it's going to be an acquittal. So for Tory Lanez, he does have a chance with every criminal trial. There's always a chance because of that high burden. But we're just going to have to wait and see how the testimony plays out in terms of Megan Thee Stallion as well as the other witnesses. All right, we'll be right back. Welcome back. Time to turn our attention to our Stand Up For series and those people making a difference for the culture. My name is Kim Mays. I am the owner of Kim Mays State Farm, located in Stockbridge, Georgia. Entrepreneurship has always been in my spirit, but I had no idea that I could own an insurance office until a friend of mine who worked for a competitor approached me and said, you should open an office. You would be absolutely great at it. I reached out to the recruiter and when I listened to the information that she was telling me how they are structured and the opportunities that they had available, they were actually looking for someone to open an office in McDonough, Georgia, where I live. I opened my office in September of 2019, so right before the pandemic. Had a great team, and then they kind of shut everything down and sent everybody home. So the challenge for me was my team, they were all single mothers who all had young children. So not only did we have to figure out how to work from home, they had to work from home and simultaneously make sure that their children were in class online. We had each other's back during the time, you know, we just made sure that we kept the communication open. And so we were able to still be successful. I think there's lots of different challenges with opening a business. At the end of the day, it's how you face it. Owning a business can be a lonely journey, but it doesn't have to be. I have been married for 21 years. My husband supports me 100%. We have two handsome boys. They were with me day one when I opened the doors and, and had my ribbon cutting. It started out as something that I thought was about me, but it's so much bigger than that. I've met some incredible people. It was the best decision that I've ever made. For me, I have to be resilient no matter what's going on. I have to be resilient for my community. 
my community is watching me. They're inspired by me. And at the end of the day, that's really what's most important to me about being a Black woman and being a Black woman in insurance is showing other people that they can do it too. I've grown so much as a person being a business owner, and I realized that it's not easy. It is the support I receive from other businesses that have helped me to be very successful. I want to return the favor, not just to return it, but it really helps me the more that I give to others. Giving to the community was really another reason why I became a State Farm agent. To have the ability to use a national brand to help elevate my community. Our motto is like a good neighbor. Here, here are things going on in our neighborhood. So we're good neighbors. How can we make a difference? If people focus more on, on helping one another, it, probably be really amazing what this world could be. I've had experiences in the past three years that I haven't had in my entire life. So it's been exciting. Welcome back. Before we get out of here, we wanted to shine a spotlight on those people or organizations that are paying it forward and helping the culture. That said, we focus our attention on our revolutionary of the week. Modern design, solar power, and smart home technology. These futuristic homes aren't in Silicon Valley. They're in one of Atlanta's up-and-coming neighborhoods. These homes will be able to give people luxury finishes or close to modern finishes, but because of the size, we're able to afford those types of finishes. They're going to be getting uh, some sustainable home solutions like solar panels or solar shingles, as well as smart home entry, video, and remote Wi-Fi access to their homes. Uh, homeowners are going to get access to online uh, financial literacy education through an embedded uh, tablet. Booker T. Washington. No, not that Booker T. Washington. This one. And his company, Techie Homes, makes him the first African-American to successfully create a tiny home community. I am named after uh, Booker Telefero Washington. So yes, my name is Booker Telefero Washington. I am not related. I was actually born uh, on campus at Tuskegee Institute. Getting your hands on one of these properties, though, isn't easy. South Park Cottages sold out for $5.9 million in just 50 days. These high-tech homes are completely crowdfunded and black invested. It wasn't just about price and affordability. A lot of people were choosing tiny homes because of its flexibility, because of its uh, sustainability to the environment, the ways it allowed families to live a more abundant life by not spending as much money on their primary residence. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, in 2020, only 44.1% of Black Americans owned their homes, compared to 74.5% of their white counterparts. Washington's mission is to disrupt home buying in major urban markets. The area that I grew up in, only 15% of that whole section of that South Fulton County area is homeowners. You can talk about almost any urban community, any town USA, and it's affecting African-Americans all in the same way. The urban areas is where major developers, 
see the biggest amount of money they can make. So it systematically squeezes people out where now the medium home price in Atlanta is 400,000. Five years ago, the medium home price in Atlanta was 225. I wanted to do something residentially and, and build in that community uh, without having to squeeze and move people out that gives them a chance at home ownership at that price of between 180 and in the mid 200s. Washington has no signs of slowing down, righting the wrongs of so many systemic issues. But Atlanta as a whole has transitioned so much in real estate um, that it's amazing that it hasn't matriculated down to the areas of town that need the most development. The roads are still in need of infrastructure and development. Uh, there are still rundown apartments and rental communities for which we try to claim as affordable housing. And that is, that is a moral issue for me. That does it for us. Remember to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, our YouTube channel, and on our Revolt Black News podcast. Till next time. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.